Good morning and welcome uh, to Renaissance Church. So glad that you're here. I am very uh, excited about what we begin today and what we'll be on for the next nine weeks. I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm very confident that all of us need to change and spending time like this together is one of the most, um, to me, obvious ways that could happen. And I'm very excited. And I, I'm not chronically happy, but I'm close. I want you to picture three things with me. All right, I'm going to paint a scene for you in a coffee shop, in an Irish pub, and then in a hospital room. I know this sounds like a bad pastor joke. It's not. <laughs> this is real. <clears throat> a man is sitting in a coffee shop. It's late afternoon. He's working on a presentation, and he is so stressed and so anxious because work has been miserable for a long time. He's so anxious, he's not sleeping well, his, his appetite is gone, his family is really suffering because of this, but anybody who, who's paying attention to him knows that for a long time he's not been himself. He catches himself saying out loud, God, please change my stress, take away my feelings. When it occurs to him that it's actually not his feelings which need to change, it's everything else. It's a coffee shop. All right, now Irish pub. Young couple sitting side by side in a booth across from their pastor. They're so in love and so cute, it makes them want to gag. <laughs> they're together because they're talking about getting married. They're making their plans for their wedding. They talk about the ceremony. They're so excited. They decide to talk also a little bit about the conflict that they have. She doesn't appreciate how much time he gives to video games when he could be talking to her. He wishes that she would be more honest about what she wants and needs instead of harboring resentment. Seems like small things to them. But the pastor knows if, if this doesn't change 10 years from now, they're going to be miles apart. It's an Irish pub. Hospital room. Man's lying on his back in the bed. He was brought in that morning because his wife found him with an empty bottle of whiskey right beside an empty bottle of pills. There's a social worker there who's trying to figure out how to convince this guy to check himself into long-term rehab. The trouble is his wife is nine months pregnant. She's about to have their daughter, and if he checks in, he's not going to be there for it. Of course, because he's the one who emptied the bottle of pills, the social worker has to force him to enter if he won't choose to do it himself. It's really hard for him to know what to do. Now, maybe these three pictures look to you like they're very far apart. Like there's a really long distance from the coffee shop to the Irish pub, which is miles away from the hospital room. But the truth is all three of, the, of these scenes, they overlap massively. Because the figures in each scene, even though they might think they're very far apart from each other, are really in the same place. Uh, every one of them needs the same thing. They need to change. All of them need to change. If they don't change, they will face chronic unhappiness, misery, a life of no joy. All, all of them are in that same place. And that's not the only thing that's similar. Listen to this. The mechanism which keeps them trapped 
whether they're in a coffee shop or the Irish pub or a hospital room, is the same for all of them, and it's the mechanism that we call habit. Those little unconscious behaviors that characterize the way we react to situations. Whether we like it or not, we find ourselves always walking on the same paths, even if they don't work. Habit, such a small thing, but has so much power. That's also the same for all three. There's a third thing, and this one's a statement of faith for me. Everyone would agree with those first two. People need to change. Habits keep us from changing. This third one is a statement of faith. And I know not everyone has the same faith as I have. But listen, here's a statement of faith, which is true about all three scenes. The people in all three scenes are completely and entirely free to move away from the misery where they find themselves into joy that is unimaginable. And not because of something that's in them. This is a statement of faith. Because of what God has done for everyone. For the people who believe it and accept it. For the people who believe it and won't accept it. For the people who don't even know about it. In Christ, this is the story we Christians gather around. It's what we went on about at Christmas time. In Christ, God has come into the world and he has seen the world of men and women who are trapped and suffering because of their sin, it's a very theological word for it, because of the patterns of life that ruined them, because of their habits, and Jesus died to rescue us from our sin. He died to set us free, and every person who's trapped, listen now, is trapped unnecessarily. All they need to do is embrace the invitation from Jesus to walk away from those things which will keep them stuck where they are into the life of joy, away from their habits into freedom. And what we're going to do in the nine weeks ahead of us is we're going to see what the patterns of life are like that keep us miserable. We'll look at habits, the most common habits, and then we'll also see the paths that God has presented for us to walk away from them. And I want to give you the ground rules before we get into our first habit. And these are ground rules for everyone. They're very important. Okay, there's three of them. Here's the first ground rule. I'm going to ask you all to listen with grace. Grace for other people because you're going to hear habits that make you think of the person right beside you and you're going to be ready to judge them and pat yourself on the back. (laughs) No, you're going to listen with grace for others but also for yourself because some of you, even as I speak about habits, you have walked into this place as a person who suffers because of your habit but you're not going to condemn yourself because that's not how it works with God in Christ. Jesus embraces the person who's a mess, and says, I love you and I'm here to help you, not condemn you, but to help move you forward. So I'm going to ask us all to listen in grace. That's the first ground rule. Second ground rule is like it. If you are strong and you don't suffer from habits and what you hear makes you think of others around you who do, I'm going to ask you to listen so that you become more likely to be helpful to the people around you. It's exactly what God wants from people who come together in the church. If they're strong and they're thriving, he wants them to keep their eyes and ears open for how they can see and hear how to help other people. You have people around you who need help. If you're strong, you're going to learn to help them as we spend time together. That's the second ground rule. And here's the third one. Everyone, whether you're weak or strong, needs to change. And I'm going to ask you right now to accept that. To accept that uh, with your, as you hear me say it, but deep in your heart, that you personally, however well you're doing, you are ready and, and in need of change this morning. I am too. While I worked on this 
uh, message in this series, I found myself confronted yet again, over and over again, with the ways that I need to change. And there's nothing to be afraid of, but it's something to embrace and accept. And I'm asking you all, wherever you are, to be ready to change. Would you do that? I can tell you, you're saying yes on the inside. (laughs) We're going to look at a man who's stuck this morning in the Bible. A man who's been in the same place for a really long time. He's a man who's been pursuing a solution that doesn't work. And even though it doesn't work, he's still trying to make it work. And he's going to show us our first habit. This is our first habit. The habit of being unwilling to change. There's some of you who look like that right now. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) It's the habit we start with because if we're not willing to let go of the habit of always staying where we are no matter what, it doesn't matter if I show you what it looks like to be habitually negative. If you're not willing to change, it won't make a difference. So we're starting here. The habit of not being willing to change is the automatic pattern of always, no matter how difficult it gets or how much you don't like it or how all the things around you that don't look right, no matter all of that, the habit of being unwilling to change is finding some reason to stay where you are anyway. And, and you shouldn't and you don't have to because in Christ, God comes not just to save us from the debt of our failures. He does that, but he does that so we can be free, to set us free So, this is beautiful, so we can be useful in the world around us so that our joy enables us to help bring about the solutions that the people around us need. God wants us to be a part of his kingdom. He wants that for you. And when you're free, you can do that. So we're going to look at this guy who's stuck. And we're going to start with his setting. His setting is significant. His story is told in John chapter 5. And it begins in verse 2. And I'm going to take the setting first and we'll go from there. If you have your own Bible or you have it on your phone, which is intelligent phone, smart phone, follow along. Here it is. Uh, Verse 2 in chapter 5 says this. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Beth Zapha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there, who had been ill for 38 years. Uh, This is the scene in which we're going to see what it looks like to be habitually stuck and which we're going to see what it looks like to be freed. Uh, It's set right there beside a pool which is in the northeast corner of the old city of ancient Jerusalem. Now I know, because I've been sitting where you are, that sometimes when stories come from the Bible, they sound just like that, stories. This is a real place. This is the telling of a real series of events. If you actually travel to Jerusalem today, you can go and see the remnants of the pool which we've just read about. It's on the property of the church of St. Anne. In the time in which the story was told, this was a vibrant part of the life of that old city. It was set beside the hills, and the pool itself was fed by the underground springs of water, which came from the aquifers. As the seasonal rains fell in the hills over time, that water would make it 
its way down, and then it would bubble up from underneath the pool. If you went there today, it would be stale and dry, covered with centuries of dust and sand until 1980, excuse me, in 1888, when uh, an archaeologist named Schick did the work to excavate it and found the walls and found the foundations of the columns in, on which those colonnades and the porticos were built and even found the stairways leading down into the water. Now, when this story was told, that phenomenon of the water bubbling up from underneath, it struck the locals as quite moving. If they were sitting around and there was no wind at all to be felt, they noticed now and then that the surface of the water would ripple and bubble. And this visible phenomenon combined with the hopes of all of those people who knew that they needed to be helped, it combined to make a local legend that became quite attractive to the people. It wasn't the water bubbling up from underneath. No, it was the hand of an unseen divine being, an angel that stirs the water. And if you're the first person to get in the pool after the water has been stirred, well, then everything will be just fine for you. This legend grew and it had a lot of power because everybody wanted to be made well and it would be great if that were true. Now, when I read the setting, you notice there were no words about that fact, but if you would look at verse 4 in chapter 5 in the Gospel of John, you'd read it yourself, but if you have a modern Bible, you'll notice that that verse isn't in there. And there's a reason for that. When John first wrote his Gospel, there was no verse 4. It wasn't until years later as this legend grew and it was so appealing to the popular imagination that it was added in some of the later manuscripts. But since it wasn't there in the start, the editor said it's not a part of the scripture. It shouldn't be there. And they made this decision partly because it wasn't there in the beginning, but for this reason as well. Listen to this. Because they saw it for what it was. A local legend of a false promise for a magical fix to real problems. And those things worked really well in this century. The promise of a magical pool, which if only you got in there, then all of your problems would go away. A false prom uh, promise for real problems. I'm going to stop talking about then, and I want to tell you about now. We live in a time where there are plenty of false promises for real problems that do not work. Magical pools in whichever city, whichever village, whichever town, whichever work environment, whichever family, whichever school setting you find yourself in, there will be the promise of this magical pool, which if only you are able to get in there at the right time, then all of your problems will go away and everything will be fine. Do you know that we still have those kinds of legends in our own day? Do you know that? And do you know that even though they don't work, People waste their whole lives sitting around those false promises waiting to get in in hopes that everything will be well. Do you know that? I need to know whether you know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, some of you know it. I love you. <laughs> if only you will find the right group of friends and become popular with the right kids, then everything will be fine. This was the magical pool that changed my entire approach to life when I was in middle school and high school. If only you become popular in the just the right way at the right time, then everything will be fine, just like getting into that magic pool. Adults, don't we know that that just exists in a new form now that we're older? 
don't we? It doesn't work. It just doesn't. Oh, and yet we'll, we'll waste so much of ourselves trying to get into that pool. Uh, or a, a more refined version of it. Once you find your soulmate, everything will be perfect. Right? Oh, they're out there and they will meet every one of your needs. They'll be able to read your mind, anticipate exactly what you want, and they'll always do everything for you. Once you get that, everything will be great. And, and people sit around that promise and they give all of their money to that promise. And they give their whole souls to that promise. And it doesn't work. And, and you can fill this in with any other form. You can. Once all of the problems in my family finally go away, everything will be fine. Once I, I can condition my children to perform when I want them to and in the way I want them to, when they can have my values and behave just as I always wanted, and once my spouse is just the right kind of person, and once my extended family stops being so psychotic, and everything then, and it can be with your career, climbing up with your achievements, reaching that goal that you would always wanted to reach, it can take any number of forms. Once I have just this much in my bank account, the funny thing about all of these myths is we all know they don't work. And yet we all spend many years sitting around waiting for them to work. And there are people who pretend they work, but we find out that they're pretending. Do you know this? Watch the celebrity who's risen all the way up to the top who says life isn't worth living anymore. Why? Because those pools don't work. And here's the thing. When we go on expecting them to work long enough, then we habitually avoid change. We become people whose strategy for life, since the one that we've pursued isn't working, is going on telling ourselves we should always stay in this same place because maybe it will eventually work, and then we habitually avoid the one thing we need, which is to change. And so I'm telling you all this this morning because I want you I want you to have eyes open to the pools that you sit around which don't work. And then I want you to have this question put to you. Are you willing to change or not? And I want you to care about that question, not because I ask it. Who cares what I ask? I mean, seriously. I want you to care about that question because it's the question that God himself wants to ask of you. I'm sure of it. That's why you're here this morning. God wants to say to you, are you ready to change? Are you ready to give up that habit of being unwilling to change? Are you? Here, look at what happens as this man is sitting beside that, that false promise. It's in verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? You know, I get emotional when I read this because it just now occurs to me that everyone who is sitting beside a false solution is a person whom Jesus sees. You, you, you notice that? It never occurred to me until just now. It's a good thing you didn't come to the first service. <laughs> Jesus saw him lying there. Jesus sees you lying beside the solutions which aren't working. And the reason he asks this guy, do you want to be made well, is because Jesus wants him to be made well. Because Jesus loves him. Because Jesus is, his heart is broken when men and women like us waste our potential, wallow in unhappiness, 
are, are robbed of joy because of the false promises of the world. So everyone who's in that place, which is everyone in some measure, is a person to whom Jesus comes with his simple question, do you want to be made well? Now, it might sound like a mean question. You might think, why would he go on and tease him like that? No, Jesus is asking that because the man's strategy, which is to stay in the same place even though it doesn't work, tells Jesus this guy has not yet come to the place where he really does want to be made well. He's in love with where he is. And a lot of us are. And, and Jesus asks because he needs to change. And I'm going to say this to you. Do you want to be made well? Because you need to change. You need to stop caring so much about what everyone around you thinks of you and just let that go. You need to stop always looking at the things in your life which aren't working so that you ignore the things which are good. You need to make that change. You need to, to give up on that relationship. It's not the right one for you. He's not. You need to let that thing go and move forward away from him, away from her. You need to stop always being anxious about what's not come yet. The, the future is completely unreal. You need to keep your eyes on the present where you can actually have some effect. You need to stop worrying so much about getting more than other people and pay attention to the good people that God has put right there in your home. Is this resonating with you? You need to step forward even though you're really afraid. Don't wait until you're courageous. Do it anyway. You need to accept the loss that's come because those other people were miserable to you. Accept that and move away from it. And now say, what can I do in the future? All of these are pictures of the same thing. They look different. They're all the same. The need for change. And whether you're in the coffee shop or in the Irish pub or flat on your back in the hospital bed, you need to have that question asked of you. Do you want to be made well? And then you have to decide, am I ready to change or not? I'm going to say something that's really obvious. It's hard to change. Is it obvious to you? It's hard. Even when, when things are really miserable, it's hard for us. And we'll get into why in a moment. Look at how the man responds. He shows us how hard it is to change. This is verse 7. After Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way down, someone else steps down ahead of me. And, and we might read that quickly and say, well, he's got a good point. Let's, let's have, you know, he can, he can move. He's not one of the folks who's actually paralyzed. He's not. He can move. And he just says, well, no one else is helping me. And, and people keep cutting in front of me. And what we know already is that even if he could get in there, it wouldn't help him. That's not the real solution. And I'm going to tell you right now that we're going to see him get well in a moment. We're going to see the way it really happens. But what we know is that, strictly speaking, his expression all boils down to one answer, no. I'm not, I don't really want to be made well. I'm stuck. I'm not going to change. And, and he exhibits patterns that you can observe nowadays in people quite plainly. And you don't even have to have religious faith to see some of the patterns that this man exhibits. And I want you to consider them with me. Uh, there are reasons we don't actually change even though we say we want to. Uh, let me ask you for a moment. Have you ever considered someone who says they really want to change, but after the third or fourth or fifth year of hearing them say they want to change and seeing them in the same place, you're thinking, no, nah, they don't really want to. Are you thinking of someone like that? 
I've seen someone nudge the, this is you, listen up. <laughs> Here's why. I'm going to give you some of the reasons we don't change. They're very concrete. The first reason is called learned helplessness. Uh, maybe some of you know about this phenomenon. It's a behavioral pattern. It's very common among people who habitually avoid change but aren't willing to see that that's what's really going on. It's the expectation in a person who's in a bad place that negative outcomes are uncontrollable for them. They believe that there's nothing they can do, and so they accept and remain passive in negative situations even when there are clear abilities for them to change. They will not take the paths that are actually there before them. It was researched, this phenomenon was researched and named by a psychologist from the University of Pennsylvania in 1967 named Martin Seligman. And you can read his theories and his tests. They're quite compelling. They all point to what we hear from this guy when he says, well, uh, nobody's helping me. In effect, he's saying, I can't change. And very, very often when a person says that, the real truth is they're not willing to yet because they've learned to believe that they are absolutely and utterly helpless to change. Now, remember the ground rules? Listen with mercy. If this is you and you're now condemning yourself for learned helplessness, you're not allowed to do that here, not here, because this is Jesus' place. And Jesus is merciful and gracious to those who are stuck impossibly. He's right beside you as you're condemning yourself saying, hey, I love you, don't worry. It's okay, we're gonna move forward. And if you are fine and you're thinking of your cousin, <laughs> right, or your spouse, like, oh my gosh, why aren't they here? They're so utterly helpless. This would be perfect for them. <laughs> Two things. Take what you learn and try to help them in grace. That's the first thing. And then second thing, if you're doing that, you're exhibiting the second reason why people don't change. It's this one. The second reason people don't change is we focus on others. Even now, as I'm describing learned helplessness, I'm absolutely sure some of you are like, yes, that other person, they need to change. You need to change. And if you, as long as you have people around you who are worse off than you, who you can look at, you'll never change. And it's what the guy does in, in, in this story. After saying, well, no one's helping me, he says, well, other people are cutting down in front of me, and that's why I'm not changing. And I know you will have no problem at all finding people around you who are doing things that make it hard for you. My boss made this decision yet again. That's why I'm so miserable. Or my spouse still has this habit and it's driving me nuts. That's why I'm so, that's why I'm like this. Or I have this, you know, this friendship group that turned on me and here's where I am. Yeah, I know you have all of that. We all have all of that in some way or another. You're thinking of a person who doesn't have that. They have it too. They've just learned to hide it better than you have. So the second reason we don't change is we focus our attention on others. Take your eyes off others. Look at yourself. Do you want to be made well? Here's a third reason we don't change. It's not so much in this man, but it's in us. I guarantee it. It's pain avoidance. And I'll tell you, it's a, a, a fact that even when your situation becomes painful, what will often keep you in that same place, what will often reinforce the habit of never changing is your anticipation of how much more painful it would be to change. And until the pain of your present circumstances becomes greater than what you imagine the pain would be of changing, you'll stay in the same place, even if it kills you. And I'm telling you, this happens. So listen, I get to say this is great news. I'm so glad I get to be the one who tells you this. 
changing is not gonna be worse. If, if the change that you're gonna make is the change which God himself is inviting you to make, no matter how painful it will be to make that change, it will be better than staying where you are. I'm telling you that. I know it. I know it from experience. I know it from my faith. I know it from what I've seen in others. And I want you to listen to me again. If God himself is saying, here's the change I'm calling you to make, no matter how much pain will come because you make it, it will be better for you than staying where you are. And, and, and maybe you don't know what God's plan is for your whole life. Probably you don't. But I'm sure, as I'm sharing this morning, if you're mature and you're open, you're seeing something of yourself in that man beside the pool. You're seeing something of yourself in that old habit that you have of staying in that same place and you're hearing the voice of the Spirit, not me, but of God's Spirit saying to you, I do want you to change. How about it? How about doing that? How about it's about time now? And there's a part of you that says, well, I can't. I just, I cannot do it. Nonsense. Yes, you can. It's the voice of the enemy that tells you you can't. It's not true. You can. And if you think, well, I can't do it by myself. Look, I'm going to tell you this. You can't. But here we are for each other. And God himself is there ready to help you in that change. And if we are going to be a church, Renaissance church, two things, we are going to be there for each other. So you're going to stop hiding your need and you're going to stop judging people who are needy if you're here and you're going to help each other. And, and, then, and then when God makes that plain, you are going to face the fact that I'm going to stop looking at all the other people and what they've done wrong to me. I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to say, am I ready to change? And then you're going to hear the voice of Jesus saying, it's time. And, and this is what's so, to me, the, my, be, my favorite part, the best part of this story is after asking that question and after not getting an answer, just avoidance, Jesus responds to the man's hab habitual staying in the same place with a very simple statement. And look at it. This is verse eight. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. And at once the man was made well and he took up his mat and he began to walk. Jesus has no time for his avoidance. Jesus doesn't care about all the things that the other people around are doing wrong. Jesus doesn't need to fuss at him about his, his strat strategy, which is never going to work. He just says the one thing that the man needs to hear, which is, get up. It's time to move. Let's do it. Let's get out of here. Leave your mat. It's time for you to stand and start living in the freedom which I myself am going to die to give you. And Jesus had to say it to that man in that tense, but to us, Jesus is ready to say, hey friend, I died for you already to set you free. I know where you are. I've come to you this morning to say, it's time for a change. Get up and get moving. I feel pretty emotional. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because when we get up and start moving, and this is for us as individuals and it's also for Renaissance as a church because churches habitually avoid change too. I heard someone, yes, I love that. We don't want to admit it, but it's time. And when we're ready to hear that address from Jesus, that question and ready to hear him say it's time to get up, then we're invited we personally are invited to leave behind the habits which are destroying us unnecessarily. We're free. And we are free because he died to set us free. And then, this is the second piece, 
This is also magnificent, beyond what we can imagine. Then we're free to be about his kingdom work in the world around us. Hasn't your heart been wrenched again and again, even this week, with the misery and the hate that's in the world? Hasn't it? Are you sick of it? I am too. We should be. And when we're free by the invitation of Jesus to get up and walk, then we're free to be his agents of blessing and love and light and mercy, which is more powerful than hate in the world. Then we're ready to be his instruments of changing the world. Then we are individually and as a church ready to be used by him for the magnificent things that we wouldn't even dream that he could use us for. And that's the adventure that we're invited on as a church, and that's the adventure that each one of you are invited to take with me in the weeks ahead. We need to hear Jesus' word to us, and it is this. This is to you. Jesus says to you, I've come right to where you are, and I love you. I know how trapped you are. I know it better than you do. And I don't blame you. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to free you. I gave my life to set you free, and now I want you to accept that freedom and walk forward with me. And you, you have something in mind right now that you need to let go of. You do. I know you do. Maybe... Maybe one of you is in that hospital bed, even though you're here. You're there. And Jesus comes to you and says, I've I've loved you and freed you. I gave myself so that you don't have to give your life. I give it to you. Let's go. Or maybe you're just so wildly in love. You're like, oh, I can't wait for this to get done so we can go make out. (laughs) I'm telling you, honestly, I hope for that. I hope that at least some of you will get this. (laughs) And, and, and there's habits that you're going to bring into that relationship that Jesus is going to say to you, it's time to change. Maybe you're in a coffee shop. Work, life, it's too much. So stressful. And you're asking God to change your feelings, but what he's saying is no, there's something else that needs to change. Here, I'm going to let you in on something. I experienced all of those scenes firsthand, the ones that I described at the start. I was that guy in that coffee shop last year. Would the musicians come forward? Would you guys come up? Listen to this. I left that coffee shop and I was driving home and there was a a railroad track between where I lived and the coffee shop. The train came and I stopped there and I was listening to my favorite radio station, NPR. Uh, There's a few of you out there. And they were interviewing a musician And they started to play a song from her CD and it was about the need for change. And I heard that song as the train rolled by and it was was like God himself had just planned it so that I'd hear that song. I needed to. Because it put me in the place of, of seeing it's time for change. And I'll tell you what. Hearing that song did two things, which you personally are experiencing now. One thing it did is it got me thinking about the habits that keep us stuck and got me writing what you're going to hear in the weeks ahead. And, and it also opened me up to the path that God was calling me onto, which has resulted in me being here with you this morning. And so I've asked the musicians to share this song. Would you close your eyes if, you, if you're that kind of person and ask God to let you face where you need to change and listen. <laughs>